Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 50 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen. 50 episodes, Kurt. Sounds like we better get some ribs or some wings or something worthy of 50 episodes. Big 5-0. We've already talked about food. Feeling good. Want to thank all the listeners who recommend the podcast to their 10 favorite friends or are going to. How's that for an yes. command? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to... In fact, we'll find some way to reward them for recommending or even post the testimonials on iTunes, right? Yeah, yeah. That's we need everybody to recommend the show on iTunes. Go ahead and, and review the show. Rate it. Say how helpful it is or how horrible it is. We don't care. Well, we yeah, kind of do. as long as we get the ratings. And yeah. appreciate everybody following us. We're coming up to our year mark, and we're going to have to do something special or at least find some really great sound effects. Yeah, yeah, we can always upgrade the sound effects. The ninja is solid, and who can who can forget Homer, right? And then Homer, some of the others we might have to to rethink. But any sound effects experts out there, let us know. Send us some sounds. We'd be happy to include them. That is correct. That is correct. And we've got some cool episodes coming up for you, including uh, two series on how to better persuade men, how to better persuade women, and basically persuading members of the opposite sex. Because it is a little bit different. It is. You have to adapt. It is different. Men tend to persuade others how they like to be persuaded. But when you add a different personality, a different gender, it matters. And it'll be really interesting and cutting-edge information. So do stay tuned. Do stay tuned. That's right. Different techniques. And we always want to bring you relevant information that works for you and that is practical and that you can use every day. But in the meantime, send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. That's where we are, and we actually get those emails, and sometimes we even respond to them, believe it or not. So we, we would love to hear from you there, and as we had previously mentioned, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on the Windows Marketplace or just listen to it on the website at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Perfect. So, Kurt, we're going to get into something that I don't think is quite surprising for the geeky article moment, and, you know, we, we do need suggestions for that because... Kurt hasn't really wanted the geeky article moment to become a thing, but it has. I mean, it's just, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It's out of control and there's nothing Kurt can do about it. Therefore, it is worthy of a sound effect, in my opinion. So, Should you know, like maybe take Steve Take a vote Urkel. out there for a sound effect for the article? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe a blood-curdling scream. I'm going to go ahead and nominate Steve Urkel from the TV show Family Matters, uh, you know, that would laugh and snort, total nerd. <laughs> I don't I think even that's, remember that one. Yeah, well, that's that's ironic because that's totally you when it comes to these articles. <laughs> I think most of the people in the audience will agree with me. Yeah, Steve. I Urkel. remember seeing a picture of. Him. I know what he looks like. I don't remember his laugh though. I'll yeah, he would go <laughs> and then he'd snort. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll go out there either find a scream or a strange laugh to match our. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean we don't have, we don't have the rights to dope and we don't have the rights to Urkel, but that's never stopped us before. That's free publicity for those guys, and and it's on the internet, so it must be good. It that's right. Yeah, it must be everything on the internet is free. <laughs> <laughs> Best legal advice 
you ever got. We are not lawyers, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Yeah, don't write that down. Yeah, don't write that. <laughs> Should we even post this show? <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a bad start. We need like a reset button or a reset <laughs> Well, nothing would be more appropriate than a total train wreck on episode 50, right? <laughs> That's right. How about this sound? It's a blast from the past. <laughs> Well, there you go. Kurt, you've got an article today about how when we're in large groups, apparently our internal moral code breaks down and we just become total animals. We do. A couple professors got together and from Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Carnegie Mellon. And this is actually in the Journal of Neuroimage. And basically, we kind of knew this, but this is important to understand that individual moral code breaks down in group settings. Right. So individuals who belong to a group are more likely to compromise their moral standards and engage in behavior they wouldn't do on their own. And it's important to understand that because this happens for several reasons. When we're part of a group, we feel more anonymous. We're less likely to be caught up or feel like we're going to be punished for any wrongdoing because other people are doing it. We're doing it together as a group. And the sense of personal responsibility for our actions can be compromised. And so they did this with different groups of people, and they found that a group of people often engage in these actions that are contrary to what they believe in, their morals, their standards. It could be looting, it could be vandalism, it could be brutality, it could be getting into a fight as a group. And it's important to understand because when people are in groups, feel more anonymous, there's no more personal responsibility because of the group. And a lot of times the greater good just kind of fades away. We get into that mob mentality. And so they did different research projects to figure that out. And on one hand, we know that that's going to happen that way. But you have to understand that in an influence standpoint that when we're in a group setting, it could be group think, it could be in the boardroom, it could be as an influencer. You have to understand the way you persuade a group is much different than one-on-one because the group absorbs a dynamic. And you know this, Steve, we've done so many seminars together that each group has a different dynamic, a different feel, different challenges, different hecklers, a different feeling that you need to learn to be able to adapt as a persuader. And the bigger the group, strange things can happen, but people do not think individually as much as they do as a group. It's throughout history. It's that mob mentality, I think, is kind of what you're referring to, isn't it? It is. We just act different. It's just part of that process. I remember we talked about this once. Rush hour, Seattle, Washington. There was a suicide jumper on the the bridge. They blocked off the traffic. Nobody could go to work. They're sitting there stuck. There's a suicide jumper, mob mentality. Everyone starts going, jump, get it over with, jump, we're late for work. And we would never do that one-on-one. But in a group, it could be a sporting event or a concert or a situation like this, strange things start to happen. Now, unfortunately, she jumped. She did survive. She broke her leg. But we would never do that if we were the only person working with a suicide jumper. Oh, yeah. People get crazy in traffic. There's an accident that's got the freeway jammed up and... Nobody cares. The compassion goes completely out the window. I'm late for the movies, or I'm late for work, right? You know, you got your leg sheared off in a car accident, but get out of the way, right? (laughs) Yeah, but if you came across an accident and you were the only car and you're the only person there, it would be much different. Yeah, definitely. There's also a concept called de-individuation, where in that group, we just kind of lose our individual identity at the concert. or Again, it could even be the boardroom. To where we just start saying yes and the group think and we just act differently. So the main purpose to understand this article is when you start getting two, three, four people in a group, the whole dynamics changes with your ability to influence. You have to adapt to the audience, not just the single person. I think you have to be much more authoritative in control. 
as well because that group it, it can get out of hand because people like i said they're a little less compassionate in that moral code erodes weren't didn't you tell me about a study uh or it wasn't a study it was actually something that happened in new york city where some woman was getting stalked and people were all watching out their apartment windows and nobody was doing anything because they assumed somebody else would yeah the old famous Catherine genevieve story to where she was attacked in this alleyway and all these lights came on and the attacker left and the attacker came back attacked her some more and this kept coming back getting and scared coming back it's probably like five or six times in the killed this poor woman and everyone's like oh those new yorkers are evil no one not one person out of all the neighbors who heard the attack called the cops and everyone's like yeah new yorkers are bad people but the reality is when you're in a group situation like that that de-individuation a lot of times we assume someone else is going to do the right thing someone else is going to call or we think someone else has already called that's why a lot of accidents with a lot of people around no one's called 911 because we assume somebody else has so if you're ever in an accident Make sure you point to somebody. If you're coherent, tell someone to call 911. Don't assume that it's happened. Sometimes in a group, we think, oh, someone else will do it. It's not my problem. There are plenty of people around, and that makes a huge difference. Yeah, nobody on the 911 line is going to get mad at you and say, hey, we already got a call. What are you doing, right? I'd rather have somebody call two or three times than not at all. It makes a yeah. huge difference. <laughs> kind of the same thing that happens in classrooms, seminars, churches, where there's one person teaching or up in front and they ask a question and everybody just sits there nobody does anything they've got their head down because somebody else is going to do it right somebody else is going to answer and that's important as presenter and this is getting off on presentation skills but when you ask that first question whether it's two to three people in the room in the boardroom or doing a presentation you have to wait for the response you have to train your audience to answer it because if you get nervous and you answer your own question you've just trained your audience that oh or why try? They're going to answer it for us, and subconsciously, they're not even going to raise their hand. So that first question that you ask, you have to wait. You have to endure the silence until somebody answers that. Otherwise, you're going to have a long, hard presentation. I saw somebody who was presenting to a group one time. He asked a question to the group, and he just sat there. Nobody was answering. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys think this is a regular group where you can just pretend that somebody else is going to do it. But, you know, I asked a question, and just think how silly it would be if you were in a one-on-one -on -one visit with somebody and you asked a question and they just all stared, and they stared blankly back at you. You know, everybody felt really <laughs> awkward. But it was true. I mean, imagine if you're just talking to somebody, you ask them and they just look at you. <laughs> no one would ever try that. And uh, the, the perspective that he put in was pretty entertaining. And, of course, the classroom perked right back up and everybody started answering again. Yeah, humor works well there, but that, the first that, again, that first question you ask, you've got to wait. Otherwise, you've trained your audience just to tune out and not even listen. And they're they're like kids; they're really hard to untrain. <laughs> they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's helpful information, Kurt. And take that into consideration, everybody, as you're presenting or teaching groups of people. It's not the same kind of animal. And we're going to move on now. We're going to close out the delivery portion of charisma and we've talked about what is the mindset of charismatic people we talked about those in the early 40s episodes and right now we're into okay we know how they think but what do they do what is the day-to-day -day stuff that they actually put into practice to come across as more charismatic last week we talked about eye contact before that we talked about people skills and today we're going to talk about rapport or as people from west virginia would say rappert uh, but we, we want to we wanna get into that. Kurt, what's the difference between people skills and rapport? I kind of thought that was the same thing. 
A lot of people think they are, and the, there's a blind spot here. Just because people are nice to you and they talk to you and pretend to laugh at your jokes doesn't mean you're developing rapport. I think rapport is a couple stages above people's skills. You can get people to connect with you and talk to them, but rapport is something that makes a huge difference in your ability to influence and develop charisma. Rapport, I mean, when you really think about it, rapport is when two or more people synchronize mentally, physically, and vocally. See, people skills are just talking back and forth. We're getting them to like us. We're connecting. But let me repeat that. Rapport is when two or more people synchronize mentally, physically, and vocally. And the challenge is if you disconnect, it could take an hour or more to repair that connection. I mean, you've met people where you've liked them. There's a rapport. You want to be around them. You lose track of time. There's something about that. You feel comfortable with them. You're opening up to them. You're answering all their questions. You're not feeling like they're being invasive. It's huge. And you have to understand when you can develop rapport, it creates a positive perception. And when you can create a positive perception, you have an 85% chance of persuasion. If you start off with a negative perception, you only have a 15% chance. So that's how important rapport is. 85% chance with a positive perception and only 15% with a negative perception. And a study showed that when you're meeting people for the first time, 75% of the people don't like all that gussy, chit-chatty people skill stuff. But 99% of them won't say they're annoyed. You're getting too friendly too fast. But when you're truly developing that rapport and have that connection and synchronizing, it's amazing what can happen. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that we all have people skills, but we're taking people skills up three, four notches to develop rapport where there's that you're synchronizing with them and it makes a huge difference in your ability to influence. Probably, I think anyways, it's a little tough to define exactly what rapport is, but we all know what it is when we have it. It's, it's unmistakable. It goes from a forced conversation that might be a little bit tough for one reason or another to, hey, this person's just easy. I could talk to him forever, right? And you yeah. know you could persuade him uh, on whatever you want because that's there's that deep psychological connection. Yeah, it's almost like that easy button, right? It's just easy. <laughs> yeah, You're on yeah. the same wavelength. You have plenty to talk about. There's no resistance. They like you, you're in sync, you're enjoying your time together. It's a natural process that's just happening. And you can speed this up when you're doing rapport and a few other things. But when you can consciously really speed up rapport, influence, again, it becomes easy. Well, then, duh, that's a layup for my next question for you. How do we speed it up? What do we do there? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, we're just going to end it? <laughs> hey, everybody, do this. I don't know what to tell you as to how. Best of luck. <laughs> well, we've talked about mirror matching, right? That's one way you could increase. We have talked about that, haven't we? Yeah, we have talked about mirroring yeah. and matching and refresh everybody's memory because I know we got into it. What's the difference between mirroring and matching somebody and mimicking them like my seven-year-old daughter does? Well, mirror and matching is a great one because you're accelerating what's going to happen naturally. Because when people are in rapport, it's amazing. Their breathing rate synchronized, their, their rate of speech synchronizes, their eye contact, the percent that we talked about last week, that synchronizes. They're taking a drink at the same time. It, all these things are synchronizing. And so if you can do that and accelerate rapport, that's what makes a big difference. Now, when you mimic and you're acting like a robot and it's obvious what you're doing, it'll have the opposite effect. But what mirror and matching does, it accelerates building rapport because it's going to happen anyway. You're just speeding it up. You mentioned a few of them really quickly, but what are the two or three easiest and quickest ways to mirror and match somebody? Posture. They're leaning back. You lean back. The way they're standing. Are their shoulders squared up with you or to the side? 
their rate of speech would be important, their energy level. That's where a lot of people tend to blow it is they have too much energy mirroring their energy level. If there's a certain word they keep using, put it into your sentences. That'll connect you with them. I don't think you want to be watching their lungs and try to mirror their breathing. That takes a little too much effort. But little things you can do as far as if they cross your arms, you might want to do just a little fig leaf, just maybe hold your wrist. So it's similar, but it doesn't have to be identical. So similar can work too when you mirror and match. I think this is a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing, right? Do two people who have rapport automatically start mirroring and matching each other? Or do two people who are mirroring and matching have rapport? And there's a lot of evidence to suggest the latter. If there's a natural rapport, people have a lot in common, they're just alike, those things will happen on their own. But what you're saying here is that you may not be a lot alike, but if you do these physical things, then everything else is going to come easier. The person is going to let their guard down and, and allow that connection to happen, correct? Correct. Okay. And it can be simple things with just a smile, getting your posture, rate of speech, and energy. Because you got to be very careful with these first impressions of developing rapport. We've talked about how the cement dries fast. Even mirroring their handshake, I believe we've talked about that, how critical that is. Yeah, yeah. Last week, the blunder was a guy that we know who, we took him to a seminar, and that physical rapport to us as a third party was so obviously not there, right? The person he was trying to persuade that was sitting across this coffee table from him was leaned back, arms crossed, defensive, and he was leaned forward like a pit bull and all, all aggressive. And the very first thing he could have done is to just lean back and relax and mirror that posture, right? And you would probably notice somebody uh, somebody come forward like that. And I I like to pay attention to this stuff. Early last fall, we featured a, a timeshare person as one of the blunders on the show. And I think that's something that we do <laughs> pretty frequently because, man, it's just so easy. It's the low-hanging fruit for the blunder. When you Next time you go into one of those, you're on vacation, and they tell you, hey, we're going to give you a free scuba excursion if you come endure two hours of torture, and you're thinking, I'll take it. At least pay attention to the body language of everybody else in that timeshare center because it's really fascinating. I bet you could probably pick with 80 to 90% accuracy who's going to buy and who's not without hearing anything to do with the conversation. Don't you think you could do that? Absolutely, and that's the key to be a great influential person is reading the person, not worrying about what to say next, but saying, oh, they've tuned out, they're indifferent, they're not listening, you can adjust your presentation. I'm not getting that rapport. That makes a huge difference. Yeah, I remember the last one I was in, my wife and I deliberately were stone-faced and, and very <laughs> brief because we wanted this over with quick. And to the sales lady's credit, she just stopped. She said, you know, I can tell you're not interested. Do you want to just end this? And we're like, sure, let's end it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, she picked up on so it. So she didn't yeah. waste anybody's time. But then on the flip side, sometimes as a, a persuader, when they've tuned out you're indifferent, you've got a free person to practice on. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Right? You could just, oh, let me try this, let me try this, because you know they've tuned out and you can't ruin it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you can save it, but you can't ruin it because they've already tuned out. So that might be a good time to test a story or a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to take a few swings here because it, yeah. it's, obviously I'm not going to hurt anything in this instance. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff on the mirror and matching. So beyond mirroring and matching, and you, you feel free to say you don't know, <laughs> what else can we do to develop rapport? <laughs> Spend the time. You know, a lot of personalities like, I don't have time. I don't want to talk about their dog. I don't want to do this. 
Sometimes you have to spend the time to do it. And the second thing you have to understand, too, is that when we make weak, fake, and insincere efforts to connect, we come across that way. People sense that. And there's just a, a disconnect there. And it's just being aware and thinking it through. Like we've talked about the mirror matching it, the handshake. We just, oh, we shake hands. We shake hands. We really don't think about it. In the study we talked about before that a bad handshake set you back one hour in building rapport. So that's huge because we should mirror and match a handshake. It shouldn't be the same every time. We should adapt to them and how they're shaking hands because I would rather have a good handshake than spending another hour trying to build rapport. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But you do have to put in the time, like you say. And and I know everybody tunes into the show to hear my ridiculous analogies, but I've told you, you know, the rack of ribs, you got to spend the time. There's no way to hurry it if you want it to come off right. That's how rapport is. Sometimes it's just going to take a little bit of time to build that trust and to build that rapport. So that's hard. I mean, if you're in kind of a smash and grab industry where they line prospects up in front of you and there isn't a lot of time, it's almost like you're selling a commodity in a very high pressure environment. So maybe you don't have the luxury, but I know that a company that I worked for once, they did a lot of uh, podcasting and media. And it was really interesting because when clients would call up, it was funny. We, I had never spoken to them before, but the client already felt like there was rapport because they had been listening to the podcast and the videos and the webinars for so long, they felt like they knew us. So that's one way. If you live in one of those industries or work in, work in one of those industries rather where you don't have a lot of time with the prospect, how can you use mass media, mass marketing, direct mail, videos, any of that kind of stuff? to build the rapport in advance so that when you do get those precious few minutes with the prospect, you've done all that legwork already. And that's interesting, whether it be a seminar or people listening to those audios or podcasts, they feel like they know you. There's a connection, there's rapport, even if you haven't met them. And that makes a big difference. And that might be a way for our listeners to get themselves out there and get the people to connect with them before they even meet with them. Exactly right. Exactly right. Anything else you want to add about rapport before we get on to the blunder? Well, let me do a pre-blunder for your blunder on rapport. Yeah, okay. This is a big complaint of people that we, you know, we, we talk to people after you've tried to persuade them, what stopped them, what's the disconnect here. And here's a big one that people don't think about. So you come in and you're doing your people skills. It's your first time you've met them and you're developing rapport and you're mirroring matching and you're getting into your presentation. And then, uh-oh, here comes the close, right? And you get a little more nervous. This is it. You're going to ask for money. You're going to ask them to do something. And your demeanor changes and you're freaking them out, okay, because you've broken rapport. Now, all of a sudden, people skill rapport person over here, they've changed. They're different. They're more serious. They're not as smiling as much. What's going on? Listeners, remember, you are persuading the whole time. You're developing rapport and maintaining rapport the whole time. You are closing the whole time. So when you get to that point, your presentation, whether it's over the phone or face-to-face, -face, should be seamless. Don't let your demeanor change when you go into the final part of your presentation. Good call. Good call. That's hard to do, especially in, I think, in Western culture where it's, you know, it's taboo to ask for money and to ask people about their money and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, you've got to really practice that and make the close and, and that part of it seem like, uh, you know, it's it's not awkward to you at all. And, I you know, the best way for it to not be is for it to not be. How's that for profound advice? There you go. And if you're <laughs> feeling awkward, they're going to feel awkward. It's that yeah. simple. So you got to fix that real fast. Yeah, that's they're going to mirror and match the awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, okay, cool. Well, Kurt, why don't you cue up the Homer? Homer, talk to us. Don't, don't, don't. There he is. So a little asterisk on today's blunder. This is a blunder about two gentlemen who have uh, been charged with a crime, and they are innocent until proven guilty. Welcome to America. We, we like due process of law. If you don't like it, you have never been charged with a crime or never been sued, right? <laughs> you will if you ever need it, that's for sure. So these uh, gentlemen are two former attorney generals of the state of Utah named Mark Shirtliff and John Swallow, and they were arrested yesterday, Kurt, on charges of corruption and unlawful activity, all kinds of stuff. So they aren't necessarily the blunder, but it's the people that got them in trouble. There are a couple of businessmen who the state has accused these attorneys general of being for sale, that these guys influence peddling, that they had a gentleman out there going around to these companies saying, hey, if you ever get in trouble with the law, you really ought to make a campaign contribution over to this guy because he's going to take care of you. And the accusation is, is that they had done this. I mean, it sounds a lot like the mafia, right? Where, you know, hey, you know, give me some money and you're above the law. And it's not the case anymore. It's a huge blunder to think that that would happen in an era where everything comes out. And we talked about Donald Sterling a couple of months ago. Everything you do or say or think can be put out there in a heartbeat now. And to think you can go around doing this, and like I said, maybe they didn't. That's what the jury's for. We like our due process. But to think you can get away with that kind of stuff in this day and age is a ridiculous blunder. To think you can manipulate the law and the courts and the government by bribing them, not a good idea and a huge blunder. It's a major blunder. I'm going to say power corrupts. Power can be a good thing in the persuasion process. If There's positive forms of power. There's negative forms of power. But it's amazing. We can rip on Congress. We can the, the national government in the United States. These guys get a little power. Strange things happen. They aren't making the best decisions. They're above the law. It's not going to touch them. It's a thing that can be very, very destructive because power, we've heard power corrupts. And that's what this is. And I'm sure in their mind, they're innocent. I guess we'll find out later on if they are really innocent. But it's amazing and on a little tangent here, everybody in prison is innocent. <laughs> you interview anybody in yeah. prison, even though they've been convicted and they were in the bank with a gun and a ski mask, they're innocent because they were cold and they forgot they had the gun. <laughs> <laughs> and it was somebody else's note they passed to the teller. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> that's the interesting thing about that process. Everyone's going to be innocent. So it'll, it'll play out. But power corrupts. We got to be careful. That is a huge blunder using power the wrong way, thinking that you're above the law. And I'm going to point fingers at all politicians on this one, especially ones that have been in office for a long time. It's just that power, that need for that power, the need to stay in power can really corrupt and cause politicians, as we know, all through history to do things that uh, they wouldn't normally do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, politicians, I'm of the opinion that they need to be changed frequently. <laughs> they, they, they're like guests in your house or fish, right? They go rotten after a period of time. They become no good. And there's a guy attached to this case that was the one that was apparently going around offering businesses who were in trouble, quote-unquote, protection from the attorney general's office. And that was the whole thing he thought that Look, I'm on the same team as the attorney general here. And once again, this is maybe they never did this, right? We're going to have the day in court. But thinking that he's the attorney general. He is the law, right? 
I mean, mm-hmm. there's no higher figure of law in the whole state. He's the one who makes the calls on who gets prosecuted. Well, even that guy can go down. So nobody's above it, and that's uh, that's why we all live in America is we want that free treatment and try to ferret out that corruption. Yeah, it's, it doesn't happen a lot, but uh, every now and then it does, and I think it, it's good for those kinds of things to happen, and maybe they are innocent. I think it's a good message to all politicians. Hey, watch your shenanigans, pal, and we're not just going to sit around and let this kind of stuff happen. And you made a good point. Everything's being recorded. There's videos everywhere. Your emails are being recorded. Unless you're the IRS, they can lose them, but nobody else can. Right? <laughs> but for the most part, that's, everything's being recorded. This day and age, you just can't get away with things like that. Can you imagine if a real person tried that crap? They're getting sued. <laughs> the prosecution or the plaintiff subpoenas the emails. Oh, I lost them. Oh, my gosh. What an eye roll that's going to get from the judge. IRS is pulling these amateur hour tactics. Oh, we just happened to lose these emails. <laughs> and it's the law. All businesses have to keep track yeah. of all their emails. Oh, wait. oh, yeah, different rules, I guess. But, yeah, really? <laughs> I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on politically. Nobody wants to hear from the IRS, right? <laughs> Show right. me anybody that lives in America that gets a letter from the IRS and goes, oh, goody, I like those guys. Nobody does, Right. IRS isn't going to send you a Christmas card, okay? (laughs) It's not good when you hear from them. So it's good to see that they're not above the law either. Yeah, they don't send me a thank you note either. So what's up with that? (laughs) Just (laughs) a little email or something. Hey, really, thanks for your support. Appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for paying your taxes last year. We really appreciate it. (laughs) But hey, we enjoy spending it. Yeah, we sure enjoy spending it. It went right down the drain. Yeah. Well, that's good, Kurt. Anything else you want to add before we uh, hang it up for the day? Just remember to adapt. Don't persuade others how you like to be persuaded. You want to develop rapport, do better at people's skills, learn to adapt to persuade people how they want to be persuaded. Not how you like to be persuaded, but how they want to be persuaded. When you can develop rapport with people, anybody, because you can develop rapport with people that are like you, that's easy. When you can develop rapport with any personality, you become more influential, more charismatic, and very, very persuasive. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Send us your feedback, comments, questions, derogatory remarks to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes or on Windows Marketplace, Stitcher Radio, or listen to the show at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. 